welcome to the Barely Living Dread Girls podcast, where we like to get high and talk about horror movies. I'm Casey. And I'm Jess. And this week, we are having our part two of Stephen King's Summer. <laughs> Stephen King's Summer! Which is <laughs> the Dreamcatcher! Yay! Dreamcatcher yeah. <laughs> is a book that was released in 2001, um, after, in the wake of, uh, it was written in the wake of Stephen King's, uh, very serious car accident, which I think is reflected in the book as well as in the movie. Um, movie came out in 2003. I had actually never read this book. Um, I had, I remembered, like, nothing from the movie when I, because I watched it, you know, when I was a kid, and I remember bits and pieces, but not really anything about it, and then I, so I decided to put it on this for this summer, because I was like, oh, I know it's a movie I want to watch, and uh, I don't know if I let you guys know this last week, but I will be reading everything that we're covering. If there is a book or a story or a novella or whatever that it's based on, which most of them are, there is one, um, The Langoliers, which is written, is based on something that was never published, so I can't read that. Everything else I will be reading. I had never read this book, so I didn't really know what I was in for. Uh, I love this book it I love Stephen King in general obviously but this it's it's really interesting you can tell he was pretty fucked up reading writing this like he says he does not remember writing this um because he was just really fucked up on a lot of pain meds he was in a really really bad car accident and it left him fucked up and he wrote this and um it screwed me up this book uh i was left sobbing on my couch uncontrollably um i was introduced to one of my favorite fictional characters of all fucking time um duddits i love duddits so much i could cry daily over my love of duddits cattle uh, sweet he's so sweet yeah um so when i read this book knowing we were going to be covering it i I'm sitting there in my head like, oh god, this is a movie from 2003. I know they're not going to handle this well. I know it's not going to be tasteful. And the book is, like, over 800 pages. And, um, it's very plot-driven, um, which makes the movie feel too plot-heavy. It feels like it barrels through this plot. Oh my god, I absolutely agree with and that. And I'm really interested to hear Jess, Jess's thoughts on it because I wonder how confusing the story is for someone who's not as familiar with it as I am. I just finished this book a couple weeks ago and I was so engrossed in it. I haven't stopped thinking about this story since I read it, honestly. I've thought about it every single day since. It took me a long, it took me a hot minute to pick up what they were putting down. And part of it is, this is a story with a lot of main characters. And so you're introduced to six main characters in total, but the first four, um, Henry, Pete, Jonesy, and um, Eve, within the first like five minutes, because those are our main characters for the book. And so I'm getting really excited over the casting, and I'm like, oh, that's exactly exactly how I pictured the Beeb, was literally Jason Lee, who... Um, I think looks so hot in this movie. I do too. Can't get over it. The glasses are doing it for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, Timothy Olyphant. Um. Hold on, let me check on that real quick. Okay. I just don't know what it is. Okay. No, it's not. <sighs> so, um, 
be talking about the book a lot. Uh, I'm gonna kind of let, I mean, we're gonna go through the plot a little bit, but I assume Jess will probably talk about the movie a little more, and I'll kind of come in with my book knowledge, uh, because I think it, obviously, the things that I'm gonna be adding in, if you haven't read the book and you've just seen the movie, it's gonna add a lot of context for things, and it might make you appreciate it a little more. Um, <clears throat> I will also start off by saying I, when I saw the casting for this, I freaked the fuck out knowing that, that Donnie Wahlberg was playing Duddits. I've talked a lot of shit about Donnie Wahlberg in my life, okay? The, first of all, the Wahlbergs are not good people. They are not, like, they have all done bad things in their lives. As far as actors go, I love Mark Wahlberg. I think he's hysterical. I think he's an amazing actor. He's obviously also very attractive. I love Mark sure. Wahlberg. I have never loved <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg. I think he is the worst part of Saw 2. Um, I just, can't, I just don't really like him. He brought Duddits to life for me. When he came down the stairs, I sobbed on my couch. I literally, like, my roommate came home and I was like, he's like, what the fuck's going on in this movie? I'm like, I don't know. Why am I crying, though? Like, sweet Duddits. It was. And the little boy actor, they got to play him. He was so sweet. Okay. So we're going to start going through this. Um, my first note is I'm excited, but also so nervous for this. There's there's another situation that's going to be coming on later in the summer that I have this exact same problem with, um, and it's Bag of Bones, which ended up in my top three favorite Stephen King books of all time when I read it. I read it long before this. I, I read it uh, last year, actually. Um, it is one of my favorite books to ever exist on the planet, and I've heard that the movie's not great. But it also st stars Pierce Brosnan, Ooh. and it's such a good story. I love Pierce Brosnan. He is my James Bond. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I am excited for that, and I'm excited to see these characters brought to life. And again, a lot of these, like, I'm kind of glad that Jess hasn't read a lot of what we're going to be doing because I want to hear her perspective on the movie just as a movie and an outside viewer. And not a reader of the story and it being turned into a movie. Because there's obviously a lot of things that come with that. You're going to be looking for things that were in the book. Going to be like, you know, you're going to notice the differences that they made. And yeah, I do sometimes wonder like how much does a story like this make sense when it's so plot heavy. And I have all this background knowledge. I know exactly what's going to happen. Because this does stay really close to the book right up until the end. I mean, it is... They make changes that have to happen for a movie to happen within two hours. Because, again, it's an 800-something page book. It, but it really does try to stay faithful to the book. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of really fun moments. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of early 2000s moments in this movie. Oh, yeah. And a lot it of is, quotable lines. Yes. So many quotable lines. It is, I mean, it's it's Stephen King language. He has his Stephen King-isms, is what I call them. In every one of his stories, there is some kind of phrase or word or something that's like, I know that came from the book. Because it's something that the characters say over and over again. Over You're like, over. I've never heard that before, but it sounds like something that, like, a group of friends, like, you get words that you... Like, you, fuck you, me, Freddy. Yeah, that... fuckaroo versus fuckery. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, it's, I call that a Stephen Kingism. <laughs> I wrote a couple of them. This only has a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's not fair. It has a 5 out of 10 on Letterboxd, though, and I think that's a little more fair. 
28% so low. Can we talk about the long-ass fucking title intro credit scene? It's like it's trying to be an 80s movie. <sighs> I can't. This The music it's already You're already t- a two-hour movie. Yeah, it is You're a already long a long movie. movie. You need to get me from the jump. Yes. Um, maybe it wouldn't <laughs> have been so fucking long if they'd have shaved, shaved that five minutes off. True. But yeah, the music is very um, Goosebumps-y at the very beginning. It reminded me of that... Dun, 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 dun. It bark, sounded bark, like bark, that. Bark, bark. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I wrote very X Files goosebumps sounding music. Um, yeah. So we open on the Beave, who is played by Jason Lee. Um, also, this cast is stacked to the brim. Is that not who we start on? Mm-mm. Who's drawing SSDD? Oh, it's Pete. No, it's Henry. 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 Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wrote my my things all around. So he starts by writing SSDD, which is a huge part of the book. It's the name of the very first chapter, and it stands for Same Shit, Different Day. Um, I feel like that's going to be part of my Stephen King sleeve eventually. It's going to have probably a letter in here, just a little SSDD. Um, So he's drawing a dream catcher. So we do start with Henry, who is played by Thomas Jane. This is his second Stephen King adaptation because he was the lead in The Mist, which I loved. I actually really liked The Mist. I really, um, I really enjoyed him in this role. I think yeah, he did a really nice I job. I do too. I do too. I thought I was very excited for that. Um, so we start with him. He's in, um, let's see, he's in his office with Barry, who group. is he's a therapist. Yes, he is a therapist. Um, Barry in the book is described as couch man. Um, so. Henry goes off on this rant to Barry, um, and you kind of don't know, see, that's why it's, let me hear you explain this scene. So, he is, obviously Barry, he's going on about, um, how he has this problem where he can't stop eating, and Henry's like, I know you blame yourself for what happened to your mom, and he's like... I, I never told you that. Like, there are so many things that Henry's saying to him. He's like, I didn't tell you that. How do you know that? Like, get out of my head. And I was like, okay, well, this guy can read minds. I mean, that was pretty yeah. easy for me to pick up on. But yeah. he, like, stormed out because he was so freaked out, mm-hmm. which, fuck, I would be too. Yes. I'd be like, tell me more. What else do you know? I think Like, that, pull out memories yeah. that I can't remember for me, please. I think the, <clears throat> um... The fact that Barry was, like, I feel like it could have played more into the fact that he was so freaked out that he didn't know that. Because in the book, he really, like, he freaks the fuck out. He's like, I didn't fucking tell you that. He's, like, throwing shit. It's, like, a big thing. I mean, um, he did, like, throw some shit yeah, around. Yeah, that is but true, yeah. You're right. I think if they would have put more focus on that, it's just, it's just one of those things, like yeah. you said... 800 pages into a two-hour movie. You have to, they are, you have to cut, you have to do some editing. Some of the dialogue even feels kind of rushed because mm-hmm. they are just barreling through so much of this plot. Um, yeah. So right after, because we do, we meet our four boys right at the beginning, our four main characters. So right after we meet Henry, he gets a call from Pete. Or no, he calls Pete. No, he gets a phone call because he's about to shoot himself. Um, no, I thought Pete was about to shoot himself. No, Henry, after he had that moment in his office, he felt so bad about the client. He was sitting there, he was about to shoot himself. Well, and he'd been thinking about, yeah. 
It scared him. He shot his Harvard degree instead. Yes. Um, so Pete does call him um, and says... Actually, I don't even remember. It was Jonesy. I'm sorry. I, I, it was Jonesy. Jonesy did call. I am so fucking confused right now and I don't know why. It, like, the way that this was structured just, I think, kind of confused me. So, yes. Henry is about to shoot himself because he is very suicidal. I said, the fuck, Henry? Put that down. So, uh, Jonesy does call him and he says, hey, I've been thinking a lot about Duddits. We should go see him this weekend. And he's like, yes, we should do that. Um, and then we do go to Pete in his office eventually. He is a professor. Um, Jonesy is the professor. Pete's the car salesman. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to keep it. Jonesy is the professor. He does a really kind thing for her student. And then we get to see Pete, who's the car salesman, who's hitting on this woman by also, we see, reading her mind. Yes. So, well, they, they kind of all do that. Um, yeah. So, we got when Jonesy hint. calls Defuniac into his office, he's like, hey, I know you <clears throat> cheated on this test. And he's like, you weren't even there that day. How do you know? You know. And I kept repeating throughout the entire thing because he sees the line. Every time they go, how did you know that? Because he sees the line. That's the line that they repeat in the book over and over again because Duddits, when he does his thing, when he knows something, or when he, sh they, you know, when his mom describes it when he's trying to find his way home, he sees the line. And it's literally described as a line on the road that Duddits sees. Um, so I kept repeating that. So anyway, ignore all the rest of the things I said. <laughs> Henry gets his call from Jonesy. Jonesy gets the student in his office. He sends him out and he's like, you're going to take another test. It's fine. Um, eventually, we get to Pete. <laughs> and he is, um, at, he's, he is a car salesman. He is played by Timothy Oliphant. He looks amazing. He's so hot. Yeah. I love Timothy Oliphant. So, yes, uh, he does this thing for this girl to find her keys. Um, she's super freaked out. And I do wish they yeah, had done, she like, into it. a little, yeah, I wish they had done, like, a little thing. Because he invites her to dinner. She says yes. And then he finds her keys. She's really freaked out. And in the book, he does, he knows she's not going to show up, but he still has hope. And he goes, he actually does go to the dinner that night and waits Aww. for her for a couple hours. And, of course, she doesn't show. Um, and then eventually, after all of that, we finally get to, to the Beeve, who is one of my favorite characters in the book. I love the Beeve. I think Jason Lee seriously embodies this character like like no other. I really, I think he's just so fucking good in this. Um, and he is in a bar. He's always chewing his toothpick. Um, and he calls Jonesy and just tells him to be careful. And why does he tell him to be careful? Well, Jonesy didn't know, but then he stepped outside and he thought he heard someone calling him to cross the street. He sees Duddits. He sees Duddits across the street telling him to come. And he gets hit the fuck by a car. Oh my god, it is brutal looking. And he's like twitching, I'm like, oh he's dead. That's what Jeff said. He's like, oh he's dead. And I was like, actually... I was like, uh, Jonesy's our main character. I was like, six months Jonesy later, wait, Jonesy's back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jonesy and Henry are our two, like, actual main, main characters. Um, I was shooketh, because I really... Jonesy is played by Damian Lewis, and I think he does a fantastic job in this role. The, I... the four dudes, I... Amazing. I loved them, Amazing. and I don't often love men. 
but they're four good boys. They are. And they're the sweetest boys you learn. They, they are, are literally wholesome. Good I boys. like really cared about every single one of them. Seriously, it was really yes. sad when we, you know, started. Yeah. And uh, we did, so I didn't mention, but I want to, because it was one of my favorite things in the book, and I was so glad that they did something cool with it for the movie. When Pete, none of the other ones do this, but when Pete does his mind thing, um, he does this, like, little thing with his finger, and then I think it's really cool the way that they visualized it in the movie, where it's like... It looks like a kaleidoscope kind of thing. Yeah, like you're looking at a tunnel kind of thing. And it's like where the color was, is where you go, and everything else is kind of like faded around it. Yeah. It was um, pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah, and the book, it's literally described as like a yellow line on the ground, but I think that was a cool visual way. And yeah, they always describe Pete as doing his little, moving his finger back and forth. I think that was really cool. I literally wrote, Pete's doing the hand thing! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I was very excited to see all of my... Things that I was waiting to see. Yeah. But like I said, we're now six months later and we realize Jonesy's still alive. And we see the gang, the core four. Uh, <laughs> yep, core four. Gathering at the hole in the wall that they've mm-hmm. been coming to for 20 years. It's a cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also... The, this is a part that confused me because they started talking about like the memory warehouse. Yes. So And, and this, I was like, the Yes, this was a part that I was really interested to hear your thoughts on because, so the way they set it up in the movie is Jonesy, the way he thinks of his own mind is his memory warehouse and you get shots of an actual like, like it almost looks like a big giant old library where it's got stacks of boxes and it's all his memories. Yeah. I'm so lonesome all the time. Since I left my baby behind on Blue Bayou. And so they call it the memory warehouse. It's a thing that's discussed. So the memory warehouse is a thing in the book, but it's not like a thing that like, this is the way Jonesy's always thought of his mind and all of them talk about the memory warehouse. In the book, once Jonesy's taken over, then he's suddenly locked in his own mind and he imagines it as a warehouse. Um... Or, like, a big area, um, and he's, like, locked in the office that he gets locked in in the uh, in the movie. And so it makes more sense in the book because he's literally, he's just trapped inside of his own mind, and that's how his mind kind of visualizes it. And, like, that's how he physical, he's physically in his own mind. And, yeah, so in the movie, they're, like, talking about it like it's, like, a, a like, real thing. Yeah, it, that's what was confusing to me. I'm like, do they all have this... Memory warehouse. No, it's just Jonesy. And that was that was what was confusing for me. Yeah, that about was that part. Very weird. Um, but I liked how they said Duddits our dream catcher. Yes, Duddits is our dream catcher. Yeah. Um, and we when they start referencing Duddits, we get our flashback of twenty the four years boys. earlier. Yes, four boys when they were younger. Um, and they are on their way. Fun fact to the uh, Barons in Derry, Maine. And if you are a fan of it. Or the Stephen King universe in general, you'll know Derry, Maine is obviously a huge, huge part of the Stephen King universe. Um, and they are on their way down to the uh, to the um, what was that place? The Barrens. Um, because they're going to oh, I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, but they're going to look in this old abandoned factory place to see because they heard there's a picture of Tina Jean Sloshinger's pussy on the wall it's they literally heard that the homecoming queen of their year 
well, there was a picture of her pulling her skirt up to show her panties. And when they get there, it's just some random lady. <laughs> but, you know, that's, and that feels so real for there to be a rumor like that. Like, oh my God, I heard Tina Jean, there's this picture. Like, it just feels like an 80s young boy mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, And when they're going there, they find a shirt and then they find the Sco- Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Ooby dooby doo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to cry. So they find the Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Some work to do now. Yep. And then they hear poor sweet Duddit screaming. Because the bullies are trying to make him eat a dog turd. And they've stripped all his clothes off. Like, this is devastating. Oh, it's, it's so hard to read, he's too. He's screaming. He's crying. It is yep. and it's so older fucked bullies. up. Yep. Then there's, like, a third one just sitting off to the side, like, watching it all happen. Yep. And so the four boys walk up, and these are four younger, like, freshmen, nerdy kids. Tiny. Against the two football, co- you know, guys that are seniors. And they stand up for Duddit so fucking fast. Like, Without he literally, him. Yeah. he literally just says, get ready, Pete. And Pete steps back, and he's like, I'm ready. And he, like, he said, tells say him, when. he's like, you don't even know who this guy is. This is Pete Moore. He's faster than anybody else. You come near me, I tell him to go. He runs straight to his mom. He tells him what you did. They and had a fucking plan. Then he started. It happened. The beef so started picking up rocks. They oh, were the to... beef was so ready. He's like, "No, I'm gonna kick their asses," and he's the tiniest one. I love it. It was the most like I have chills. That was so Me too. fucking wholesome. Like, it's such a good part in the book. I'm like tearing up. It, it really was really, is. really sweet. Because then once they get the bullies to leave, and Duddits is still crying, and they don't know how to get him to stop. Beeb's like, if you tell anyone I did this, I swear to God, I'll never hang out with you again. And he sings to him. While the, the other ones put his clothes back on, they, like, put, they reclothed him and put his shoes back on. It was, and they're like, okay, we've got to get him home. Because his, like, lunchbox had said it, you know, his name and where he lived. And he, they asked him his name. They're like, so you're Douglas? And he goes, I done it. And, uh, yeah, so, because that's, that's how you pronounce his name. So that's what they call him. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, it explains in the book. And I think you can kind of gather from the movie um, they take him home, and then they're all really good friends with him after that. They hung out for years after that. They were the five boys. They just, you know, and their mom, you know, Duddit's mom and dad absolutely loved the boys and was just so grateful that they brought him home, and that was that was their buddy. They talk, I mean, the way they talk about him in the book, and even in the movie, the Beeb goes, you know, he says he's the only perfect person I've ever known. Like, they love, you're literally crying. They love Duddits. They know he is better than anyone else. Aww. And the way they talk about him is just so fucking sweet. They, cause like they're they're all like we he changed us. We wouldn't be the persons we are. And when they meet him, um, that's when they kind of get their telepathic abilities. Cause Duddits is magic. Dude, I'm so this sorry. This was me reading the book. I swear to God, I was sitting Ugh. on my couch sobbing like a baby. I just. That, that was my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Not the dog shit part, but just the... Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was so good. Makes me want to die. So then we cut back to current times. Yep. 
we're back in that <clears throat> hole in the wall. And uh, Jonesy's out hunting. And he's, like, having these, like, weird, like, I don't know, like, hallucinations. Mm-hmm. But this deer is walking past him, and he almost shoots it. But all of a sudden, he, like, has a moment of clarity and realizes it's this poor old man lost out in the fucking snow. Should have shot him. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, anyways. So that's Rick McCarthy. He um, shows up. He's a hunter that got lost. Um, Jonesy brings him inside and is like, you know, sit down. Let's, you know, and the guy's like, I've been lost for two days wandering. You saved my life. This is when in the book and in the movie, I was like, not, I mean, not in the movie because I'd already read the book. But when I read the book and I was getting to the farts and the burps, the descriptions, I'm not only gagging because it sounds so disgusting, I'm laughing my ass off. Because I'm like, Stephen King, you wrote half a book just about farts and about butt stuff. Shit weasels. I have my own name for them. I can't believe he wrote this. Like, I, we're gonna get into it. But, like, everyone wants to write an alien story. He wrote what we were all thinking. No, he wrote what no one has ever thought ever. It reminded me a little bit of Slither. I was just about to say Slither. Yeah, yeah. I probably got a lot of influence from this. Um, but yeah, he said that he really didn't look good. Like, he had this, like, weird lump in his chest. He said he ate some, like... Berries in the woods. He's got a little red spot on his face. Which is important. Looks really weird. Oh, um, another thing. That I just really love these dudes. Like, when Beef comes in and sees this random stranger in his house, he just walks up and introduces himself. Yep. He didn't ask, who the fuck's this guy? Yep. Why is this guy in our place? He's just like, hi. Mm-hmm. And I was like... And the Beef's usually the one saying a lot of the Stephen King-isms. Like the fuck... Uh, Jesus Christ bananas, fuck me Freddy. Fuck me and Freddy. Then, a fuckero is a bad thing, and a fuckery is a good thing. <laughs> so a fuckery can turn into a fuckero real fast. Oh, I love it. Um, so, and I even wrote, this is so fucking close to the book so far, but I also felt like we were just plowing through it. Because at this point, I'm like a third of the way through the book. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. But of course, I mean, the first third of the book is a lot of character building, because he is, Stephen King is you introducing you to these four boys and to Duddits, and you're literally falling in love with Duddits in front of your eyes. Um, so, like I said, we get, like, we get this scene of, um, you know, Jonesy taking care of Rick, and then we cut to the other guys. I mean, this guy's clearly sick. They put him in Jonesy's bed. They're like, just rest it off. It's fine. Let me feed you. Mm -hmm. Good people. They are. They made him some tomato soup. Yes. Yeah, and they, they put him to rest. Yes. So that was really sweet. And then we, um, cut to Henry and Pete. And they were at the store getting some stuff, um, some beer, some snacks, whatever. Gosselin's. Gosselin's Market becomes a very important part of the movie. And on their way back, there is a woman sitting in the snow in the middle of the fucking road. Which causes them to veer off and flip their fucking car. Oh, they crash the shit out of that car. Second car Nine crash miles. in this movie. And mm. look. Uh, and again, 
in the wake of Stephen King having the worst car accident of his life, flipping his own car and breaking many a bone. I feel like his, like, the description of when Jonesy gets hit by the car and the actual sight of getting hit by the car in the movie, like, it's so visceral, and I feel like he, like, you can tell that he was writing that from a place of, like, of real pain. Mm-hmm. He's like, this sucks. Truly. Oh my god, we could have lost him. We I didn't. Just, I we think, didn't. I think about, never mind. I can't lose him. I don't know what I'm gonna do. He's coming out with a new book next year. It's someone in it has COVID. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we're kind of cutting back and forth between uh, the two groups because we've got um, Pete and uh, Henry in the car coming back, and we've got Beeve and Jonesy at the cabin taking care of Rick McCarthy. Yes. Um, so we're kind of jumping back and forth. So with Jonesy and the Beeve, uh, they are at the cabin. They are – so they put him to sleep. Um, and then they notice all the woodland animals just all running in this, like, herd, like, a literal stampede of these animals just all going eerie. in the same direction. Yeah. Bears, um, you know, deer, deer bunnies, every, everything. every single forest woodland creature. And they're like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. And they're, like, standing outside, and then this helicopter comes by, and it's like, hey, stay where you are. You're quarantined. You're in quarantine. Yo, everything will be back to normal in 24 to 48 hours. And they're, like, yelling at him, like, fuck, you have to come get this person. And they're like, cool, thanks. And <laughs> Beeb's just like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they go back inside, and there is blood everywhere. And Rick McCarthy is no longer in the bed. And the bathroom door is closed. And locked. So they go, and they're like, hey, Rick, let us in. We want to help. Again, nicest boys. They're not even like, obviously they're grossed out, but they're like, we need to help this guy. They're like, there's something wrong with you. Where are you bleeding from? I need, we, like, you need help. You need help. And he's like, I'm, what do you mean? I'm not bleeding. And all of a sudden it just got really quiet. Yep. And they're like, we got to bust in. And this is, okay, so I did want to ask you about this because it's a huge phrase in the book. That comes up like two or three times in the, the movie. No bounce, is, no bounce, no, no play. Fun. Oh, no bounce, no play. So in the book, it's like written on the wall, and it's like one of their phrases, like SSDD, that they repeat over and over again. And in the book, it's described because they saw that the day they met Duddits, and to them, no Duddits, no magic, no bounce, no play. Without Duddits, there is no bounce, there is no magic, there is no play. I gathered none of that none of that's in the movie mm-hmm. they like it you can see it written on the wall at one point and then they say it because he even says and it's like a weird way that they add it in because he's like what if we just bounce off the door and he's like no bounce no play i was like why didn't they just cut that out like yes it's a big part of the book but why didn't they just cut it out if they were gonna put it in so for nothing to, for nothing. to come to nothing yeah and it makes no scenes. sense yeah none i was just like okay it the way they said it though it seemed important and so I kept waiting for it to come back around. There were a lot of things that, like, oh, this seems like they want us to pay attention to this. Like, about how Pete's the fastest person. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, what's Pete going to have to run from? Yep. Doesn't really come back around. Nope. So there were a lot of things that I was like, ooh. Yep. This. And then nothing. Yep. It did in the book. They could have cut that out for the movie. That's kind of, I mean, that's an important part of making an adaptation 
is knowing what to keep and what to cut out to make it a good movie. Yep. They, I have notes. I would have made this movie perfect. Uh, <laughs> no, I often think my favorite book of all time, literally on this planet, if I could only read one book for the rest of my life, it would be Duma Key. I think it is perfect. <laughs> and I am both at the same time sad and happy that they have never made a movie. Sad because I would love to see that story come to life on the screen. Um, happy because I would have to burn whatever movie studio decided to produce it down because I know they would ruin it. I just know it. But um, back to our story. So they um, get into the bat. They, <laughs> they bust into the bathroom. And Rick McCarthy falls off the toilet and there's a big crater in his butthole. He's dead as fuck. So dead. Well, well, I mean, that giant crater kind of tells you how dead he is. I don't think I'd be alive with a giant crater in my asshole. Mm-mm. And then there's something moving in the toilet. Yes. Because so... he was sitting on the toilet. So, um, what we've gathered is that he was housing an alien, uh, and it shot its way out of his butthole. And that's exactly what happened. Yes, that's what happens in the book. Stephen King. Why? I said... Farting, burping, shitting out aliens. I don't know why, but I said, these guys are clowning. I think it's because he stopped and he was like... Like when um, he was going to the shed, when um, Jonesy was going to the shed to find the tape, he like stopped and scared the shit out of Beeb just to say some stupid phrase. And I was like, these motherfuckers are clowns. They are clowns. Through and through. Like there is an alien in the toilet. You don't have time for jokes right now. Literally. <clears throat> this isn't that kind of movie. Yes. But, um, yeah, when the fucking thing... Oh, he wanted... He had to get his toothpick so fucking bad. trying to pick him out of like one spot on the floor that didn't have anus blood bro you don't need it that fucking bad alien anus blood (laughs) mixed with old man human anus blood yeah it's really (coughs) so so um yeah the beeve is like he so he's sitting on the toilet trapping it under the toilet seat while jonesy runs and gets some tape and uh to like you know tape it in and the beeve is he really in the way it's it makes so much more sense in the book the way it's described because it's like that's beeve's addiction like if you are a smoker or if you've ever been addicted to anything i am addicted to this right here if you've like you know like yes that seems like an extreme situation and like yeah you might not do that but you are so stressed in that moment and you just need your comfort thing they didn't set us up for that at all yeah and it like you can kind of get there on your own a little because like you know you people can like if you think about it you're like yeah i'm sure that was his thing people have their thing you know i my friend nora i love her to death um she when i when we were in college together if she did not if she wasn't smoking a cigarette she had gum in her mouth she would take her gum out set it on something smoke her cigarette put her gum back in same piece of gum all day like she always had something in her mouth 
and that was just her thing and she would want a piece of gum in that moment and so that is his downfall because he does come up off the seat and the shit weasel or whatever Jess wants to call it comes out and uh starts attacking him and it looks honestly it looks good they stuck to the creature design really well and I think the CGI holds up you know uh, I called it the toothy dick snake. <gasps> okay, well that is what it is, yeah. It's clearly a toothy dick snake. I said it looks like a dick with teeth, and it got beaver sad face. Yeah. And yeah. then I called it the toothy dick snake, so. Which is fine. But I, I did It think- literally looks like a penis. And the t- where the tip is, imagine that sliced with teeth. Um, and later they, like, turn into bigger things with, like, legs, and the legs are, like, where the balls would be. It looks like a running dick. It really does. It's shaped like a penis. It I, looks 110 But can you like agree that the CGI holds up pretty well? Yeah. It yeah. was creepy, but I was, like, I couldn't get over the... F- it It kind of became a little bit comedic. Yeah. To me at that point. I couldn't help it. I it, was, like, it's a penis. If they It's, like, fucking reverse teeth. It's, like, penile dentura. Maybe... <laughs> it looks like the head of a penis yeah if if they like because yes it does need to look like a long slug like that's the creature design and i would be fine with a more slug like design but she you are absolutely correct the way that they cut like where the face starts literally looks like a mushroom head and it like the way that it the top it looks like the the it really does and like because like (laughs) when you look at a dick that's been circumcised, it really, like, the pee hole, and it kind of has that, like, little, where it almost looks like it could open up. That's where the teeth are. It's crazy. And it's got these little beady eyes. So, yes, it is extremely dickish. Toothy dick snake. Toothy dick snake. Which I... Lovingly is what I call him. Um, toothy shitty dick snake. Um, so, yes, unfortunately, it gets Beaver. And, but Beaver saves Jonesy. When he dies. That's because it's... Jonesy's, like, frozen in place because he's freaking out. And Beaver grabs onto it and, like, holds it so that Jonesy can get away and it kills Beaver. Um, and Jonesy eventually does shut the door. He's, like, trying to trap it in there. <sighs> the doorknob breaks off. And then... It sneaks out and turns... Shows up. The fucking big... Big ball sack guy. Mr. Gray. Mr. Gray. The ball sack guy. He's an alien. He's I said, just, he, oh my god, what is up with this tall ass alien dude? Why did his head combust? <laughs> yes, he explodes. He literally just explodes into a a, a cloud of... Red dust. Yes. Red particle. It didn't look like dust. It was like, like if you can imagine splattering blood in slow motion. What do you want? Like, you're watching it through, like, a slow-motion camera. Like, the blood particles. Like, a ton of those. And when it grows on stuff, it looks like scab. It looks like one giant scab. Yeah. I feel so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Mm -hmm. which, this is such a... I'm also a picker. Like, does not get explained in the movie whatsoever. This is, like, something that the aliens, um, 
Like, it's something that they leave behind that, you know, grows, and it's not explained in the movie at all. It's just barely passed by. It's called the Ripley virus. Um, that's what they kind of call it in the book. That's, like, the soldiers' names for it. It's called virus, B-Y-R-U-S. That's the name of it. And so that's what I'm calling it all through my notes. But it's, like, such a big part of the book because they're so worried about this thing that when it gets on people, it kills some of them. But a lot of people, it just dies off and you're totally fine. Um, and it doesn't survive really well in our environment. And so they're freaking out about it for a long time. And then by the end of the book, they're like, okay, it's going to die off. But in the movie, it's just kind of a cool set piece because it just kind of looks cool, but it's not explained. It's not like, oh, this is really infecting people really bad. You can kind of see it on people, but it doesn't explain what it does to them. And then it also never gets resolved in the sense that they're like, oh, okay, it just dies off. It's like Stranger Things-esque to me in a way. It is, yeah, yeah. But um, then we cut to the part where I was like, holy fuck. Yes. Morgan Freeman's in this movie? Well, before we get to him, so that's what happened with the Sorry, Beans and Sorry, I was Jonesy. excited. No, that's fine. That's what happened with the Beans and Jonesy. While all that's going on, we're cutting back and forth between that oh, and... Oh, and the woman. Henry yep. and Pete. Mm-hmm. So Henry and Pete, they get into that car crash. Um, it's a really... Pete is honestly the funniest character in the movie, played by Timothy Olyphant. He's got great comedic timing. Um, My leg's broken. And then, yeah, he's like, well, it's not broken, it's just locked up. When they're, like, <laughs> going to check on the woman in the road, which, again, this is God. the woman that, like, just made them crash, and they're still going to check on her to make sure she's okay, and they said something, he's like, I'm gonna strangle her, and he's like, yeah, she might not be alive, he's like, I'm gonna strangle her anyway. <laughs> and then he was, like, talking shit to her, got real up in her face, and she fucking kicked him. Yeah. That was um, funny. Because she's, like, all, like, zoned out, and she's got the red on her as well. And she's asking for Rick McCarthy, which we know who that is. They obviously don't. So she's obviously a part of the party that um, got lost with Rick. And this, you can gather, um, <laughs> and is explained in the book, obviously. I don't know how many times I'll say that. Uh, that this is the this was the initial contact with this these aliens. That was this small party of hunters. They got in contact with the aliens. And then, you know, they went off and are trying to spread it. And then... Uh, it was that was right after the aliens crash landed because that's what happens. They crash land um, in this area that the guys are in and start infecting things, and so the military comes in and is like trying to shut that shit down. Yep. So, so it's like a quarantine zone. Yes. So we are uh, we're in. So we're with Pete and um, Henry, and Henry's like, "I'm gonna ski back to Hole in the Wall, and grab the snowcat, come back here, and get you guys. You stay by this fire with the woman." It'll Do be okay. not go back to the car to get beer. He goes back to the car. Duh. And gets the beer. I probably would too. I would have too. But also, Henry had a nine mile walk ahead of him in the blistering cold. Poor fucking guy. And he does it. He fucking does it. Yep. And it, yeah, so he. We, we get to meet the. The Blue Boy group at this point. Yes, this is when we finally get to meet Blue Boy group. So, Morgan Freeman's in this movie. And in the... So, if you are looking through my notes, which you're not, but if you were, you would notice that this entire time, I call Morgan Freeman's character Colonel Kurtz. K-U-R-T-Z. It's not Curtis? In the book, his name is Colonel Kurtz. I assumed it was Colonel Kurtz, and they were just pronouncing it weird. And then I noticed in my subtitles... 
they randomly changed his name to Colonel Curtis for the movie. I don't know why. I have no clue why they changed his name from Curtis yeah, to Curtis. Yeah, that's silly. Makes no sense. I have more to say about how they breezed over his character development later. Kurtz? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm glad you caught that because wow do they do that. Wow do they do that. I was like all of a sudden like what the fuck? And it makes so much sense in the book. Like he, he descends into madness. And that, this was not that. You don't get a descent. He just jumps off the cliff into madness in yeah. this movie. Yeah. I'm so glad you caught yeah, that. Yeah, he just jumped into the deep end of madness. Like and didn't like yeah, <laughs> but so we do, you can kind of tell he's a little crazy, but, but like because there's a soldier who let a mother and her daughter go, um, because he's like, there's no way she could have been contaminated, and, he's and she like, was, yeah. But he's like, I want you to swear like scouts honor, and he's like, yeah. And so he shot his fucking fingers off, which is kind of crazy. But like when you think of situations like that and this is like kind of a militia type like this isn't like so they're a part government of, yes. like sanctioned. so they're all military men but it is a special sect that has been specifically trained for these alien encounters cuz you know we're given knowledge in the movie and everything <coughs> this is not our first encounter with them yeah this is just one that we're currently trying to contain yeah cuz um <coughs> Colonel Curtis said that he's been doing this for 25, he's been fighting aliens, trying to contain them for 25 yes. years. So, um, I don't remember where I was going with that. Anyway, he's, uh, this group is, you know, when something happens, they gather this group, which is currently called Blue Boy Team. Um, they gather a group of these soldiers that they can trust, usually led by Kurtz or Curtis, um, to contain whatever it is they need to contain. So that's our current group. So they they don't use ranks. They can't say sir because um, they don't want to be associated with the military. They're like a hidden group. They're a group that's not supposed to exist, basically. Um, which I think is always in, a really interesting thing in movies that I love to watch is those things that aren't supposed to exist that are like studying you know, alien life or these, like, conspiracies that are, um, fake and movies. I like to watch them because they're fake. Movies. The you Earth is round. Well, aliens are real. Okay, aliens are real, but the Earth is round. I'm sorry. You shouldn't be sorry for that. That's fucking science. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> So, um, we are very serious about so yes, the shape we, of the planet. We also meet um, Owen Underhill, who is a big part of the book. Um, played, I can't remember his actor's name, but he is honestly really good. I'm sorry, I wasn't. I was laughing no. at a note that I had a second. Forward. He does a really like. I he's so he was really good military. Like he just you look at his face and it's like, oh yeah, that's that's a second in command military guy. That's a a guy's guy. Um, but he ends up being amazing and saving the fucking world in the end. Yeah. Uh, so he is, uh, Colonel Kurt's second in command. And in, like Jess said, you don't get to see Curtis's development as much because he really loves Owen in the beginning. He really trusts him. He is all for everything. He just wants to contain this alien thing. And he's like, basically, like, if I have to kill all these people, I'm going to kill all these people. Yeah. And if you have to kill me, you have to kill me. And then you're in charge. That's just how it is. And by the end... 
he's crazy, he doesn't care about the aliens, he just wants Owen to die, he doesn't, like, he foregoes everything he's ever learned in the military and what he stood for, which was preserving the country and the world, just to get after Owen. And in the book, again, it makes more sense because, first of all, the virus is making people crazy. It gives people telepathic abilities in the book. So you can, like, it's a fucked up thing where you can always kind of hear each other's thoughts when you're around the virus. Which, which there were a couple mentions of that, but it made no fucking sense to me. Which is a terrifyingly awful fucking thing to think. If, like, think about that in the real world. There's a virus that's spreading all around, and if you get, it gets on you, it gets near you, you can hear each other's thoughts. That may sound almost kind of cool, like, oh, that'd be cool to read mine. No, you and everyone else can always read each other's minds. Always. <laughs> that is the worst thing that could happen. That like, sounds miserable. I don't want to know some things. dangerous. No, no, it would be awful. Everyone would kill themselves. So, anyway, um, that's kind of ignored in the book, uh, but we do, you know, you see him, and Owen ends up betraying him in the book, and so he's going after him because he feels betrayed, and he's going crazy. In the movie, Owen betrays him, but he just goes crazy, like, yeah. Yeah, and he only betrayed him to try to save people's lives. Yes. And in the book, he even acknowledges... Like, Colonel Kurt's character is like, I don't care if he is going to kill an alien, I'm going to kill him because he snubbed me. That's just how crazy he is. Yeah. Um, so we get the introduction to those characters, and then we cut back to our boy Pete. He's drunk. He's talking to this lady. He's so funny. Timothy Oliphant is so funny. She's, like, laying on the ground. She's already dead. Deader than fuck. Because we saw her back. Side. So we saw that she's got that crater in her butt and know that the alien has already come out of her. But he yeah, doesn't there's... know that because he went to get the beer when that happened. He would have seen it happen. Pete would still be alive. Pete's an alcoholic, though. That's part of his ca- He is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He won't admit it. He adamantly refuses to admit it. But he is an alcoholic. It attacks his penis while he's peeing. He pees its name in the snow. And I... I'm going to keep bringing up the book. Because in the book, when he goes back for the beer, he, he's he got a really bad knee. He, his knee locks up and it hurts so bad he passes out. And he's by the car getting the beer when he passes out. And he wakes up in the snow. And when he wakes up, he has, while he was passed out, drawn Duddit's name in the snow over and over and over and over again. And then Henry goes by the car later and sees that. And it's a really creepy moment. He passes out and then he wakes up and Duddit's name is everywhere. In the movie, it's a gag. He pees Duddit's name in the snow. I forgot about that part. One of these things is not like the other. I just... (laughs) That's very drastically different. Why did they do that? I just wrote, just a joke here. Sure, cool. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Sure, cool. Okay, awesome. Oh my god. And then he like, it's attacking him and he like throws himself on the fire to try to get it off of him which is actually a pretty smart very smart yeah Yeah. it's like attached right here so he like puts it in the fire so it goes away burning it off grabs a piece of wood from the fire that's like half on fire so he can like try to defend himself Mm -hmm. it doesn't work yeah we we also get a cut back to jonesy getting the uh the what, snowmobile? Snowcat, I think is what they call it. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and he's His got face. stoic look on his face. You can tell he's totally different. And again, 
Damian Lewis does so good because he is playing two different characters as Jonesy. The switch is oh. so creepy. And I, when I first heard the way he does, because he is currently infected by Mr. Gray. Jonesy is trapped inside of his mind. Mr. Gray is controlling his body. So when you're hearing them talk back and forth, obviously in the book it's just in their mind. The way they visualize it in the movie is it like cuts back and forth. And he's talking in his regular Damien Lewis Jonesy voice. And then he like turns and it'll be like this weird British accent for Mr. Gray. I said the alien is British. Your friend had nothing in his head. I've already found something useful in yours. Fuck you. I know what that expression means. I've studied the foul language section of your memory warehouse. Rather distasteful, I must say. It sounds like, um, I can't remember what it's a reference to, but he, I don't know. I like the way it distinguishes. Cause like, it's kind of the way Mr. Gray talks in the book. He's just very like buoyant and happy and just like so excited about everything. And the way he kind of added that little British accent to that jaunty tone made sense to me. Because, like, Mr. It Gray, in the- after seeing that fucking alien, it did not make a goddamn sense to me why he was British. I was like, yeah, it really doesn't make giant sense that dick, he's British. Toothy dick snake, British. What the fuck is what happened here? But, like, I know y'all put beans on yes. toast, but I mean, like, what the fuck? You're not that alien. Uh, but, like, he, it, it is the jaunty way, because Mr. Gray is just so excited to be learning all these new human emotions. He learns what rage is, he learns what hunger is, he learns what food is like he like and he's so excited he's like oh my god bacon like he eats bacon at one point he loves it and so it like after a few minutes of me kind of settling with the Mr. Gray voice I was like okay it makes sense he has that same tone I was kind of hearing him in my head but yes it doesn't make a damn bit of sense that he's British no but we see Henry I wrote interesting I guess not really (laughs) Henry sees Jonesy and he's like that's not him. Because he's like, he can hear he can, in yeah, his head. It's he like Jonesy's calling out to him, like, that's not me. Yeah. And so he's like, he hides from Jonesy. Get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, yep, so Henry does eventually get back to Hole in the Wall. There is the virus everywhere. And it looks so cool. But again, this is not explained in the movie. They could have left the virus out. <laughs> it could have just been the aliens with the shit weasels. They didn't have to add that third thing. With the virus. Yeah, I literally put red stuff taking over everything. Because I had no idea. Yeah, because then on. we get the eggs. Like, yes, it's a big part of the book, but it does nothing in the movie. They could have left the Ripley virus out. They could have completely left that out and just had the aliens, the little dick snakes, and their eggs that they pop out. They pop out a shit fuck ton of eggs. Ugh. They're disgusting. Oh my god, they're so slimy and so, like, hit. Because you can, like, there's at one point, it's such a cool shot that it's disgusting. There's a backlight behind them, and you can, like, see in the eggs, they're, like, little wriggling bodies inside of the, like, ugh. And when we first see the eggs, we see a fuck ton on the bed, and, you know, Henry's going to, like, burn those with lighter fluid, and then he kind of sees that there's a bunch that have already hatched. You know that one of the writers of this was one of the writers of a bunch of Star Wars movies, right? Did I tell you that? Oh my god, you know what's really funny? Star Wars-esque transition slides. The entire, like, second half of the movie. You'll have to look the up pan the over. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The fucking cheap ass. Yeah, I want to say that the person who wrote, one of the co-writers of this wrote the original trilogy, or one of the original trilogy and Solo. 
I want to say I read. That is fucking hysterical. Yeah. There are, there are a few things that are like, oh, that is a little surprise George Lucas didn't swoop in and say sued. Uh, <laughs> um, that looks a lot like, um. That's a mini job of the hut if I've ever seen one. So, um, you owe me money now. Why does George Lucas sound like this? It. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, um, there, the eggs are very gross. Henry is a smart horror character and immediately burns that he's shit like, nope, to the ground. He's like, no, fuck this. He's like, he saw, he saw Beaver. He's dead. And he, he's like. And he goes, oh, Beaver. They all, like, I love the way they love each other. Like, he didn't have time to grieve, though. He knew no, something was really. But he went on his way up. out. He goes, "All right, Beef. Like, you know what I mean? Like, ugh. bye, Beef. I love those boys. Yeah, love those boys." I said, "Henry lights them bitches up like the Fourth of July." He does though. <laughs> Explode! <laughs> like it is a fucking inferno. Oh my god! I just take so uh, many notes on this movie. <laughs> it is crazy. Uh, it is also over two hours long. Um, I literally wrote just plowing through this dialogue. Um, cause yeah, uh, Curtis is, Colonel Curtis is explaining to Owen just kind of exposition dump. You know, it's kind of just like, I've been doing this, this is what we're doing, it's aliens, we're gonna go take care of them. But it's an exposition dump that also doesn't explain anything. No. He's just like, hey, I've been doing this shit a long time, you're in charge now. But, but like, then he doesn't actually want it, him to be in charge because he's still in charge when they go up and up. Because, like, he, what he could be explaining is, okay, they crash-landed here. What we're going to do is we're going to go up, we're going to light them all up, and then we're going to take care of this, and then we're going to take care of this. But he doesn't really say it like that. He mm-hmm. doesn't explain it well. But that's what they're doing. They're going to go up in the helicopters, They're going to, and they're going to take out all of the aliens that are still standing around their crashed ship. Please, don't forget. There's no infection. We're helpless. We're dying. And um, when they're in the helicopters and they're coming toward them, they get these beams into their head of thoughts of the aliens saying, please help us, please don't kill us, we're helpless, we are not an infection. And I get why they couldn't do this for the movie, but in the book, it plays over the radio, but it plays in celebrity voices. So you literally hear Tom Cruise going, please help us, we are not a virus. And then you hear Kate Winslet going, we are, uh, we are safe, we are not a danger to you. you. Like, you're literally, and it's broadcasting on, like, every radio station. It's these celebrity voices you're hearing. That's crazy. It's creepy. Yeah. So creepy. But this is just, like, random voices because they couldn't get, they couldn't pay Tom Cruise and Kate Winslet and everybody else to read one line for this movie. <laughs> no. But it, they're literally saying, like, we are not an infection. They are. I don't care what they think. They are. So, uh, but they all just get lit up. And I think it's cool because when they start getting shot and stuff, they, like, kind of turn into these little, like, tornado things. And you can kind of see the big dick monsters. But then the dick monsters come out and they're not scary anymore. They, I, They look like um, dicks with legs. Yeah, Morgan Freeman's character, um, mentioned earlier that they present themselves how they think we perceive them. So, like, when you, when I think of an alien, I think of the traditional greys. Yeah. So that's kind of like 
how they were presenting themselves. They're there, like, waving. They looked they're, like alien, wacky, waitable, and flailing, flailing arm tubes. Ultra human. long, I mean, yes. A they look like Gumby. Yes, a generic <laughs> thought, if you ask a random person, what does a generic alien look like? It's a long, slender, humanoid, gray body, usually three fingers, big head, big eyeballs. That's kind of, because, I mean, that's what we've seen. That's how they've been portrayed in the past. And so the way that it's explained is they look like this because that's what they think you want them to look like. That's what, they're reading your minds and saying, oh, they're expecting me to look like this, so this is how I'm going to present myself to you. But they, quote, have a true form. And the true form in the in the book is just the virus. It's just the virus itself. It's the, the crap that's all around. Um, and I'm so fucking excited for what's about to come up on this page. Uh, but in the uh, movie, they turn into dick monsters with legs. I'm almost done. I'm so excited to see Jess's depiction of Mr. Gray. I may get it tattooed. Are you ready? true story that's a better alien than i could ever do i, I mean like the the body is fucking whack but oh, like that's so cute help me i'm poor he's adorable in this economy listen <laughs> the republicans are scared enough i'd be really good at charades or not charades Pic- pictionary pictionary yeah yeah whatever i would be really bad at pictionary so um all this is happening, and then we do another flashback to when they were kids, uh, and this is um, kind of the moment that they, when they first met Duddits, of course their life changed because they met Duddits, and when they, there's this girl that's missing in the town, Josie Rinkenhauer, and she is um, a disabled child who has been missing for, you know, about a day. And when they go to find her, because they know Duddits will know, Duddits knows everything, that's mm-hmm. when they really come into their, that's when they really get those powers from Duddits. Um, they all kind of link hands, link together, and Duddits shows them the line. First does his little thing and they find Josie Rinkenhauer and I think it's a cool little um these are the little book additives that I like when people when movie makers add that don't detract from the story and don't like you would never notice it having read the book and it's not going to confuse you because it's you're not going to see it but mm-hmm. I noticed when they are going through and they go to find her they find her purse and it's got a little Barbie and Ken in there and the book like, that's her favorite thing on the planet, and she calls it her Barbican. Like, it's all one word. That's that's her Barbican. And so when I saw that, and I'm like, oh, they added that. Like, that's something I noticed from the book, but I'm like, oh, that's so cool. A cool little detail that I get to, like, latch on to, but is never going to distract you from the story like yeah. the virus does. Like, I know what it's doing. You don't know what it's doing. They could leave that out. Right. Those little things that they add for the fans are great that don't... Those little Easter eggs. That don't distract you from what the fuck's going on. Because they weren't like, oh, her Barbie can. And you're like, 
I just thought it was sweet because then yeah. um, Duditz goes over and like picks them up and mm-hmm. looks at them and yep. yeah, I thought that was just a sweet. Yeah, so they. Saved it made this sense girl. to me as a young a young girl would have Barbies in her purse. So exactly. to me, it didn't distract at all. Exactly. Yeah. And I even wrote, "Oh, she got a Barbie can." Uh, Jeff pointed out uh, the Jeepers Creepers esque shot. Because they're, like, in this, like, tunnel yep. thing, like, yep. getting her out. And, and they the rat shit. Yeah, it's, they like, made a shot comment. from the inside. It's very... But Jeepers Creepers came out first, I think. Isn't it 2001? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this was 2003. Um. So, yeah. Um, I liked the aliens design, just to go back. I thought it was kind of cool. Their initial, the gray design, not the dick design. But anyway. Oh, yeah. It was... It's head. <laughs> I liked the big head. Help me, I'm poor. And another reason that I think that they would portray themselves like that is because it does look more innocent. It's humanoid, but it's got over, like, big features, big eyes. These are things that humans typically, like, associate with innocence and wanting That's to true. protect if it's more humanoid and has more almost baby-like features because it's got baby soft skin is how they describe it. Where, uh, you know, that's just how your brain's going to think, oh, I need to protect this thing, whereas you see a xenomorph-style alien that looks more like a bug than a person, you're going to feel less inclined to want to help it. That's and I true. think that that's very smart on the alien's part to be like, oh, I'm going to portray myself like this. Right. Because if they're reading people's minds, they know that they also have these depictions of predators and xenomorphs, and they could portray themselves like that. But no, they're going to, the safe one, mm-hmm. the cutesy one. Right. <laughs> the baby one. The baby. I like the baby. Oh. He's gone. He's here. <laughs> He's back. Um. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they're firing up these ships, and, uh, or they're firing at the ship and killing all these aliens, and... I don't know how the fuck... Well, I guess Morgan Freeman's been doing this for 25 years, so yeah. he knew that that ship was about to self-destruct. Yes. And his his good old good old blue boys weren't listening to him, and they're like, we're gonna get this thing. That blew him the fuck up. Yep, they self-destructed like cowards. Yeah. Um, so... We do cut back to Jonesy. He is in his memory mm-hmm. warehouse. So he's stuck in his own mind while Mr. Gray is doing stuff. And he is busy with, he kidnaps this dog and feeds him the virus because he wants to grow a dick snake inside of him to put in a water supply because then that will infect the world. Oh, so sad. So that's his plan that he's going for. Yes, this dog dies and I hate yeah. it. Yeah. Um... It's a very bad description in the book. It goes on for at least half the book, the changes that this dog has to go through, and it's excruciating to listen to. He kills a lot of dogs in his books. Um, Are you okay? And he has the cutest corgi. Her name's Molly, a.k.a. the thing of evil. That's what he calls her. Um, Yeah. So, uh, So we're back in the memory warehouse, and... This is another thing that I don't know if this is making sense to you when he's in the memory warehouse and he's grabbing all the Duddits boxes. I was like, is back he... To the office. I thought he was going to burn them or something. No. So he's trapped in a single room in this warehouse. So Mr. Gray has complete control over him, but there's one single office. That's his private. That, he, that Mr. Gray cannot get into. So at one point when Mr. Gray is really distracted, Jonesy in his memory ra- warehouse runs out, grabs all the boxes and memories of Duddits 
and brings them into that room. So then Mr. Gray will no longer have access to the memories of Duddits because he doesn't want him to know who Duddits is because then he can go and assassinate Duddits because mm-hmm. he, Jonesy knows deep down that Duddits is the answer to saving everything. And he knows you don't need to know about Duddits. I have to protect those memories. And so that's what he's doing. He's literally grabbing the memories so that Mr. Gray doesn't have access to them. That's not being explained. Oh, see, I thought he was... I think, I think they thought you were they knocking. They thought I was knocking. <laughs> My dogs are stupid. I so, love them. They are very sweet. But I think, in my mind, I was like, oh, he's grabbing them to burn them. Yeah. So he can't get access to Which them. Which makes sense, also. I mean, he never, I mean, they never showed him burning yeah. them, but that was, like, my first assumption. Yeah. But, Yeah. Yeah, so he is trying to take those away, and Mr. Gray is getting mad, obviously, because he's like, what are you hiding? Um, let's see. Oh, we also um, missed the part where Pete was done. He's like, Pete's very, like, Mr. Gray's like, Pete's very helpful to me, because he, he knows where to go and stuff. And then Pete was like, eat shit or something. Yeah. And he's like, that's not all I'll eat. And he just turns around and yoink. Yeah. Pete. Got eat. Right in half. Like, very similar to the lawyer on the toilet in Jurassic Park. Just chomp. Clever girl. Clever girl. So, Henry does get picked up by the military, and he's in with the rest of the people who are infected with the virus. And he gets Owen to break him out and says, hey, we have to go find Jonesy. My friend is infected by an alien. These people, this area... It's, it's not a big deal. This all is going to die off and you don't have to worry about it. But what you have to worry about is Jonesy. Jonesy has an alien in him. He's going to go destroy the world. You have to get me out of here. We have to go fix this. He's like, Not things. explained well in no. the movie, but that's what he's doing. Literally, he's like, he gives, uh, he, he's clearly showing that he can read his mind. Yes. Um, Owen's mind. And he's like, okay, I'm listening. And he's like, two things. First of all, Colonel Curtis is fucking crazy. Yes. We, He's lost it. We we done been knew that. But you Which, should like have to I say said, that out loud. You should show, not tell. They breathe like this is the point where I was like, Okay. Like, he just seemed Like why? What what made him crazy? Explain that to me. I mean, obviously, 25 years of doing that kind of work. But, but like, show. It, yeah, it wasn't explained well. And then he's like, two, there's going to be a worm in the Boston water supply and everyone's going to fucking die. Yep. So they have this little plan. They end up getting, sorry, they end up getting away um, and call in the rest of the military. So now they're taking over Morgan Freeman's full spot while they're getting away. So now Henry and Owen are in a car following behind Jonesy and Mr. Gray. And then eventually Morgan Freeman is chasing Henry and Owen. So it's just a three-man chase. Um, But they have to make a pit stop on the way. So Jonesy and Mr. Gray are headed right for the Quabbin Reservoir Mm -hmm. to dump the worm that is in the dog so that he can infect the people. Henry and Owen are also on their way there, but yes... They have to stop for something. And this is when I cry. I love Duddits. And in the fucking... So, the way that they... So, not 
plays Duddits an angel. As an adult, he is dying. I don't know if we've explained this. Duddits is a character with Down syndrome. Um, and as an adult, he is also dying of leukemia. <laughs> and so when Donnie Wahlberg comes down the stairs in this fucking, like, oversized coat. His moon boots. And his fucking hair. And it's exactly how I pictured Duddits. And he, like, I just started sobbing. I was like, why? I just wanted to hug him. And I will never, ever say a bad word about Donnie Wahlberg ever, ever again. His mom was like, he's been waiting for you guys. And he had been. He knew. He says, Henny's coming. And the way he, he runs and he just hugs him. He goes, Henny, Henny, Henny. I'm gonna cry. Oh, oh my I god. I was so excited to see him. And Henry didn't know he had cancer. So when he comes down the stairs and he hugs him and he just has this look. <sighs> oh my god. It was... We're so... And then it's, like, this is the saddest fucking part of the movie. Oh my god, have we cried on the podcast before together? No. I don't think we have. Because Roberta, his mom, was like, I'm gonna let you take him. Because maybe then he can die happy. And I'm here. Oh, it's so fucking awful. Oh my god, because she knows, she knows Dunnitz isn't gonna stay. Dunnitz has to go. He's gonna go. She's like, he needs to go save the world. Yep. And he does. And when, oh my god, and when they're <laughs> walking away, and the mom goes, I, I'm literally sobbing. What the fuck? Oh my god. <laughs> and you think that he's just gonna walk out the door and never know why. She's just lying there, you know, like on the couch with this blanket over her shriveled little legs. Are you all right? She's fine. Okay. Whoa. Don't watch this movie, guys. So. Okay. So. So now they've picked up Duddits and they're following behind. And they all get to the reservoir. And, um. He. So. We're at the climax, finally. Help I me and pour. This will make you feel better. I literally wrote, I'm sobbing. Oh my god, you hacked the lunchbox. This oh, it's all his lunchbox. Yes. His oh. medican. Oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm just deceased. Oh my god. Okay. So, we're at the climax of the film. Henry and Duddits are in the backseat embracing, and Owen goes in, and he's gonna shoot down Jonesy obviously, who's housed by housing Mr. Gray, so that they can stop him from putting the dog in the water supply. While all this is happening, Curtis stole like a, a helicopter. Comes in like a bat out of hell. And is, like, shooting the gun. First of all, he shoots Owen. He would have been cut in half with that gun that's on a helicopter, but he just gets, like, shot a little bit. Also, that was unbelievable. it's a gun in a helicopter fight. Uh, how does gun win? Gun v. Helicopter? How does gun win? Gun somehow wins. I don't know. I guess gun Morgan Freeman has the shot of a, gun. would you say, Stormtrooper? Oh, you know, those, uh, those guys shot pretty bad. I think I uh, think that we should sue them because I think they're making fun of Stormtroopers. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm George Lucas. <laughs> of Lucas Films. I'm George Lucas. I sold I the am, Disney because and I am angry. now I have more money than God. Oh my God, so much. <laughs> He's gotta be one of the richest people on planet Earth. 
I would like to clarify, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Which is awesome. That's, you are not allowed to talk shit about Star Wars, okay? You can. I don't care. But I'm just saying. Oh, you're talking about me? No, people, yeah, no, those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, so yeah. I don't want you to think that I'm saying yeah, no. that Star Wars as a whole we is not cinematic Star- masterpiece. Yeah. We respect Star Wars in this house. But the fucking shitty slide transitions in the original trilogy, man. Why bring it back in 2003? We can do better. Anyways, sorry. He missed them. Whoever this was really missed the slide transition. Oops, all slides. Oops. Um, so, um, eventually, uh, Owen does die by this, uh, which I don't like because in the book, because it, it really just mutes his character and makes his character completely fucking useless in the movie. Because in the movie, Henry could have just escaped, grabbed Duddits, went on his own, and Morgan Freeman's character could have followed them. Because in the movie, Owen just died. Gets them there and then dies. In the book, Owen takes care of Joe. Like, is the one that actually goes in and helps take care of the worm and the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously doesn't shoot Jonesy, but he goes in and he's the one that helps that part out. In this, he just dies. Um, because, okay, so... We'll kind of explain how the movie goes and then I will explain why it was so perfect in the book. One And Stephen King is known for his bad endings. This was a perfect book ending. And they fucked it up in the movie. <laughs> so in the movie, um, Jonesy, or not Jonesy, uh, Henry runs in, Jonesy's laying there, trying to convince him, like, no, it's me, Mr. Gray's gone, don't shoot me. Um, and he can't answer the question that Henry asks, and... You want to explain? I can't do it. So, hmm. Dudley walks up to him. That it's that it's sorry. I'm I'm just I can't even look yep. at the camera right now. And he turned into the giant dick monster. And he stabbed him in the chest and like opened his like blade. And that's really hard to watch. It was really that really, is really it is fucking really sad. hard to see my sweet Duddits. Getting never ragdolled. Heard anybody perfect. Ragdolled by this alien thing. He like threw him to the ground, and that I was like, oh. like it I hurt. gasped because it's just he's dying of leukemia. It's he is done it's, it's my baby. But and then okay, so while he's on the ground and he's the things on the and he's about to eat him, he does his eye done it. And then uh, he turns into an alien. Duddits. Yeah. Turns into a brownish alien. I would like to note that I forgot to bring this up earlier, but Pete, when he was wasted out in the snow, was like, I think Duddits might be an alien. He's like, ah, I'm talking shit about the sweetest person, the best person I've ever met. He's like, like, he's so perfect, I can't believe he's even from this world. I can't believe he's human. And that's, Jeff literally said something at that point. He's like, oh my god, is Duddits an alien? And I was like, I literally laughed and said, no, Duddits is perfect. He's just a perfect fucking human. 
Turns out Jeff was right, I guess, and Duditz is an alien. I I thought that he was an alien in that moment, too. I was like, he's an alien. Well, yeah. So then the two explode together, and they're gone. Great, because Mr. Gray came out of Jonesy to fight Duditz. Duditz explodes them both. Duditz is gone, and I have questions, because we know Duditz's parents. Are they aliens in the movie? Is that suggesting that Roberta Cavill birthed an alien it did she just find a baby one day with down syndrome and like it happened to be alien dot i have so many questions so here's what happens in the fucking book and i'm sobbing on my couch because what's actually happening so they show up to the reservoir everything else is the same morgan freeman's character is following behind them Owen and Henry and Duddits get there right after Jonesy does. Jonesy is so close to putting the dog in the reservoir. And while Owen's coming up, kind of as like a second, like, if this other thing doesn't work, he's going to shoot Jonesy down. And he's also going to shoot the alien slug thing so it can't survive. Um, Henry and Duddits are in the back of the SUV that they wrote in, embracing and they are using their powers to go into Jonesy's mind and kill Dr. Gray, or Mr. Gray in his mind. So the three of them come together and kill Mr. Gray. So then Jonesy just has full control over his body again. So when Owen walks in, he's like, hey, I don't know how to convince you of this, but it's I'm actually me. Like, Mr. Gray's gone. I don't know how. We have to kill this worm thing. And then they kill it. And Owen walks out and gets killed by uh, Colonel Kurtz. And when all of that happens after Mr. Gray's dead, he, you find out Duddits died along with it. But Duddits dies in Henry's arms, saving Jonesy, like, with his mind powers. Like, it is the sweetest thing. He literally dies in Henry's arms. I'm about to start my period. I know that's why I'm crying so much. It is. I'm on my period, so. <laughs> so, it, uh, And it's, like, so beautiful. Because, yes, Owen... Saves the fucking world. He goes in and he's the one that kills the... Because Jonesy, his hip had rebroken at that point. So he's like completely out of commission. Yeah. He kills him in his mind, but he can't kill the worm thing. Owen saves the world. He saves the fucking world. He's the one that goes in and stomps the worm, the dick alien thing. And then he goes out and he gets murdered by Colonel Curtis, which, you does know... Does Colonel Curtis die in the book? Yes, he does die too. Uh, Henry, I think, kills him. And in the both the movie and the book, Henry and Jonesy both live, which I love that. And we yeah. get a little denouement in the book where uh, you see um, Henry, uh, like, holding Jonesy's kid on his lap, and they're at, like, a little barbecue with their family, and it's really, really sweet. And yeah. in the movie, it just ends, because that's where it should end. Um, they could not have ruined this ending more. I was so for this movie up to this point, because I was like, oh, this is a good adaptation, they're really sticking to the book like it was hard for me to judge it just as a movie just because I did know the story so well so I was having a really good time seeing all the things I knew and then they took my sweet baby if they had made any other character an alien I'd have been like oh that's weird no I literally took this and I threw it and I stopped taking notes I was like I'm done I I'm done well, I think we forgot to mention, too, in the movie, like, they killed the worm, but there was, like, one little fucking egg left, and they had to kill the little tadpole-looking oh, yeah. yeah. mini dick. Because you gotta have that little bit of suspense for that last moment, of course. And you have to squish. have that, yeah. Because we're, like, watching it crawl while they're taking care of everything else. And I, again, I, not only the makeup design, but Donnie Wahlberg's portrayal 
of Duddits was so sweet and so convincing. It didn't look like him at all. It didn't at all. Like, at all. Even, uh, he was really acting under that makeup. Because, yes, there was a lot of makeup and the prosthetics. and But the way he made his voice and his face look, it just, he really did embody Duddits for me. It meant so much to me to get to see that character. Even in an actor that I didn't think could do it and then did it beyond my expectations and that's awesome like i commend donnie Wahlberg for that that's fucking amazing like i if this movie was made in 2023 probably wouldn't fly absolutely but in 2023 they would cast down syndrome actors for the young and the adult versions a hundred percent a hundred percent they would cast an actual a a per an actor there are plenty of them with down syndrome to play this role which they should they should, you should have that kind of representation in Hollywood. In 2003, Absolutely. that's never going to happen. If they re- ever remake this, I could 100% see them doing that. And they should. If that character, you know, it, anyway, whole thing. So, um, my final thoughts, I did really enjoy this. I, um, I, I really hope you all watched it, or at least know of a lot of the story before this, because it's confusing to go through. Um, I was on a roller coaster. Yeah. I, I was catching on pretty well, but we talked about a lot of the yeah. plot points for me where I was like, this, they made this seem important, but it wasn't. Yeah. And the thing, there were a lot of things that I felt were important that I didn't get enough information yeah. on. And at, in the movie, when you're watching that and you don't know a lot about the story, you might think to yourself, like, was there something I missed? Like, did I not understand why that was important? No, like honestly, with this movie from the memory bank, that was yeah, that could have been explained better because yes, he in the like there are just so many little random magic kind of things that happen, and yeah, when he like picks up the gun, like yes, that happens in the book, but it's not explained in the movie. It was super fucking weird. And like he the virus the gun, stuff, like, like there's just so many things that are dropped that I had to kind of remind myself, like after I watched the movie, I was like, oh. They didn't really explain that, because in my mind, as soon as I saw the, the Ripley virus, I was like, oh, I know what that is. I know exactly what that is. And then the movie doesn't explain it, because I know what it is, but you don't know what it is. Mm-mm. And, like, I I think that, like, about a lot of adaptations, like, when I first watched the first Twilight movie, I'm like, does anybody who didn't read the book understand what he's feeling the first time they meet? Like, when they're in that high school classroom together, does anyone who watches that movie the first time, like, get that he's lusting after her blood. Apparently, no, because Jeff and I watched that together, and he was like, what the fuck's wrong with him? <laughs> and that, I see, I read those that books, is a, so. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do as someone who's making a movie that's an adaptation of a story, mm-hmm. when you want to stick close to the story, but you have to remind yourself, there are gonna be people who will see your movie who know absolutely nothing about the IP. Yeah. So you have to balance not over explaining because your fans are going to get mad but not under explaining because your new people are going to be confused movie making is hard it really is and i think stephen king adaptations are one of the hardest because we are crazy his fans um there are so many of us and i am a fan but not anywhere near the degree like i don't want to seem like i'm talking shit about stephen king at all we're allowed to i am having fun um diving into oh yeah this so far and like i've said in the we're doing was his, fucking awesome yeah we're I mean, doing some of his not as good movies he has some perfect films 
but we're like doing Carrie, the ones we that are, covered yeah, that. we're doing the ones that aren't as well known and aren't that great because we love but, to do exactly. we love to do silly kooky weird batshit fucking crazy and movies. that's what i was trying to say it's stephen king adaptations are harder than others because he gets so meta his metaverse is so big that it's hard to adapt for the screen his most of his books are so description heavy that your plot almost falls to the wayside in the way that like it's hard to do that in a movie and his fans and there's just so many of them that people are like oh god another Stephen King adaptation whereas I'm like another one (laughs) I get so excited so um I loved this I was so glad I got to see it and I'm so glad I got to cover this um because it made me read it I'm so glad I read this because I loved this book like really loved it I'm glad that you got to yes you got to experience that if you need a book to read seriously it's so good like little sci-fi a little horror and a lot of character development like yes he is a horror writer but the thing that you really fall in love with his books is all the character stuff he this knows just strictly felt like a story about friendship to me with some aliens and crazy shit sprinkled in. That's what all of his stories are. Yeah. It is literally just a story about friendship and Weird ass growing up. Made made the losers club. But then you know? it's also about a scary clown. Like he writes such mm-hmm. good stories and then sprinkles in the spooky. Yeah. Just a little sprinkle. Uh so spooky um, day. yes. <laughs> So that uh, is Dreamcatcher from 2003. Uh, next week we are going to be covering In the Tall Grass, uh, which is on Netflix. It is a Netflix special, so you have no excuse not to go watch it. We know you have Netflix. Um, the novella is only like 80 pages. Uh, it was written by him and his son, uh, Joe Hill. We love who, Joe Hill. We love Joe Hill. Um, so we're going to, I read that uh, for the podcast. I thought it was really, really good. A lot different than the movie. Um, and I really liked the movie. And the movie starring Patrick Wilson. I love Patrick Wilson. We love Patrick yeah. Wilson. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, so it's, I'm very, I am very much looking forward to this. It's really interesting. It really, it's, it's very different. Um, I think it's one of the better ones that we're going to be covering. Okay, there are going to be some that we cover that people are like, oh my god, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like Maximum Overdrive. It's uh-huh. a bad movie, but I love it. I think In we're going to bring grass, our friend Nathan on for that one. I would love that. Uh, yeah. In the Tall Grass is yes, it has mixed reviews. Not everyone loves it, but I think it is just like a good movie. It is just a good movie. Cool. I'm so, very excited. I'm excited. Go watch that in the meantime. Um, and then, as you know, all of our socials changed and everything. So go follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Barely Living Dreadful. Our email is barelylivingdreadful at gmail.com. And then because Twitter only allows so many characters in their ats, we are just at Living Dreadful on Twitter. Um, so make sure you go and follow us, like us on, uh, like and share and, uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Be sure to send us any requests, comments, concerns on the, um, email. And, uh, until next week, stay stay spooky. spooky. Bye. Bye.